the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we're talking about a pair of breakout youngsters and more pain for owners of a first-round pick. I think we need a crying sound effect to add to every time we talk about a disappointing player, I should play that crying effect. What do you think? As long as it's not super annoying. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of it would be kind of hard to find a non-annoying crying effect. Yeah, and as a parent of a, of a baby right now, like I veto that idea. <laughs> I don't want no more crying in your life. <laughs> All right, so before we get to our most interesting player alive, I have a question for you: True or false? After yesterday's three-homer game. Deanna Navarro has finally begun his run as a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> All I have to say is Tuffy Rhodes. Okay, so there was a reason why I brought this up. And every Wednesday night, I do the Fantasy Baseball Roundtable radio show on Blog Talk Radio. I've been doing this for, I don't know, five, six years at this point. And uh, the host of the show who has been there with me from the start, Patrick DiCaprio. We always do an Are You Crazy at the end of the show where we make a statement that we think, kind of a bold claim, bold prediction, we think maybe has a 20% chance of happening. Many years ago, Patrick DiCaprio claimed that Deanna Navarro was going to be a future Hall of Famer. We laughed at him at the time, and nothing has changed since until yesterday. So... <laughs> We, we always rib on him for that, so I think it's funny that Navarro has finally had a good game, his first in, in many, many years since that prediction. Yeah, he's so weird because he used to be like a no-power guy that walked as much as he struck out, which was, you know, people thought maybe he could be a batting average guy with like 10 homers or something. And then he sort of morphed over time into a no-patience Bad, like not bad strikeout, but more strikeout guy with a little bit of power. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm sort of surprised what's going on right now. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, let's talk about somebody a little more interesting than Deanna Navarro. And our most interesting player alive today is none other than Chris Davis, who one of my league mates has been calling Crush Davis. And I have no problem with that. So, are we still underrating Chris Davis? Because obviously right now he's playing like a first-rounder, and none of us really are ready to admit that, wow, maybe this is actually going to last all year. Are you ready yet, or are you still hesitant? Well, I said this before, but, I mean, okay. I haven't looked at his numbers in a week, I guess, because now he's striking out 22% of the time, which is basically league average i mean average is 20 but you know before he improved his strikeout rate from terrible to bad when he had a 25 percent strikeout rate now it's a 22 percent um you know i've been saying he's a 260 hitter uh with 40 home run power 
you know, if he's going to strike out 22% of the time, I feel like he's probably a 275 hitter, um, even with the Babbitt regression. And he's kind of one of these guys that always had a really high Babbitt. So, uh, yeah, two, 275, 20 more homers. That's going to be pretty exciting for his owners. Yeah, and he actually improved his strikeout rate in May. So we were wondering, I mean, that was the big thing for him, is he had an improved strikeout rate in April, and we basically said that's the key. If he could sustain sustain that, then major breakout is coming. But given his history, obviously the odds are he wasn't going to sustain it. So all he did was went, uh, he went out in May, and he actually improved, not just sustained, but improved that strikeout rate. So that's pretty darn exciting. So you mentioned uh, a home run total. You mentioned something about 40 home runs. So over under 45 home runs, which means another 26 throughout the rest of the season, and that would put him on a pace. Those 26 home runs in four months would be about a 39 home run full season pace. So what do you say? Over under 45 home runs. Man, his it's like it's so crazy. If you just look at his numbers, in the minors, in the low minors, he had crazy, crazy power like this. And then, you know, when he first got into the majors, the power dipped, and the strikeouts went all nuts. And then now he's got the crazy power again, and the strikeouts are back to where. So his his numbers right now look like the numbers he put up in the minor leagues. Um, which is really exciting, I guess. I, I, I just, I'm gonna go under. I'm just gonna go under because his ISO right now is double, almost double what it was last year, and I just, that's just too crazy. I can't, I can't do that. Yeah, I hear you, but I actually, I think 45 was a, a tough number for me to, to pick because I've been telling people that I think he will hit 45 home runs this year. So it's hard for me to go over, but I honestly think that he has a better chance of hitting 46 or 47 home runs than hitting in the low 40s. So gun to my head if I had to choose over under and not exactly 45, I'm actually going to say over. Uh, Improved strikeout rate, uh, improved fly ball rate. He's hitting 45% of fly balls. And home run per fly ball rate, yes, obviously it's up from last year. But it's not outrageous. It's basically levels that Adam Dunn, Ryan Howard have put up in the past. and Yeah, he's just hitting more fly balls. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the 26 for the rest of the season assumes some regression in his home run rate, obviously, uh, because he's on pace for well over 50 right now. And uh, I don't think he's going to regress that much. So I think that he will hit at least 45 home runs. All right, I want to just stick on him for... A little bit more because today I did a Reddit AMA and asked me anything. And somebody asked me who finishes with more home runs and RBIs, Chris Davis or Miguel Cabrera, which is crazy because who would have thought that that would be a legit question to ask at the end of May? Well, I actually wouldn't think it would be that crazy to ask that question about home runs um, because, you know, before last year, Cabrera's career high was 38, and uh, Davis hit Davis hit 33 last year, and you could see, you know, improvement on that based on his age and uh, just you know getting more playing time. So uh, I don't think the home runs thing is that weird, but you know, Cabrera hits in a great lineup and had 140, almost 140 RBI last year, and yeah, that 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 part would be crazy to me. Yeah, so I said that Chris Davis I'm going to take for home runs 
And he said who finishes with more, who not who hits uh, better the rest of the season. So based on the head start that Davis has, I'm definitely taking Davis for home runs. And I said you got to go with Miguel Cabrera for RBIs. Yeah, and Cabrera is still ahead in RBI. I mean, it's just yeah, it's just a nice lineup. And uh, I mean, I'm not to, not to slag the Baltimore lineup, but um, you know, uh, McLeod is not Austin Jackson when Austin Jackson's healthy, and you know, Fielder is uh, probably better than this. Yeah, is definitely better than the second best hitter on the Orioles. So you know, the Tigers lineup is better. Yeah, clearly. Uh, also. I got a trade offer yesterday in my 12-team non-keeper mixed league, and it kind of shocked me because you don't usually get buy-high trades. And and this was like a legit offer. So I got offered Felix Hernandez and James Loney for my Chris Davis. And I'm like, wow, I might actually reject this trade. It's crazy to think that Obviously, in the preseason, anybody would scoff and be like, are you kidding me? Felix Hernandez for Chris Davis? But now, I'm not even jumping up to make this trade, even though I have like a 10-home run lead over the rest of my league. Is that crazy for me to reject this trade? No, I mean, I always want the hitter, just in general. And uh, you have to think that Felix hasn't really... uh, change anything so you know you'd probably think of him as a round guy um and just now you know with a with a 40 home runs and and maybe two 280 true talent uh batting average um he's that would be uh that'd be a first rounder or 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 an early second rounder it's a it's a stanton-esque package now yeah, I I hate healthy, trading. Sorry, healthy Stanton. <laughs> I uh, I hate trading for top pitching, and although I probably will end up doing some sort of trading, you know, within the next month or so, because obviously I don't want to win home runs by twenty. That would just be a waste. But I kind of have a man crush on Chris Davis at this point, and I don't want to really trade him for anything. So. <laughs> That is going to be rejected, and it's- well, you know, if it's a redraft, the if it's a redraft, the um, the problems with training for pitching are uh, less obvious. I mean, it, you're just basically betting that Felix Hernandez can stay healthy the rest of this year. You're not betting that Felix Hernandez can stay healthy for the next two or three years. You know, compared to Davis. Yeah, that is true. Which tilts the scale more in it's okay to by top team yeah. pitching. But in a, in a shallow 12-team mixed league, it's so easy for me to find pitching that I feel like I never want to trade for pitching. And so... Yeah, but you know, uh, Felix has got that up to uh, almost 10 strikeouts for nine. And, yeah, you know, it's true. I mean, Felix is obviously a top-tier guy. I, I just... I mean, to bring myself to trade Chris Davis for a pitcher, it's really hard. I know, Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move along to a guy that I know in the preseason you liked. He's on your Towers team. You're obviously loving what he's done so far. It's Dominic Brown, who is now the second most searched for player on Fangraphs. And he was showing signs of a breakout during spring training. But I don't think anybody expected this good. I mean, 13 home runs already with a 26% home run per fly ball rate. Uh, I mean, what's his upside this year? Well... Bill James projected him for a 30-30 season his rookie year, so. <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, 
he was just ahead of the curve. Yeah, I don't I don't know how he's a, a base dealer because he's big. He doesn't look like he would steal bases. He's like tall and lanky, and he just he kind of looks like Dexter Fowler actually. Yeah, I, I don't I I um, people have been asking me my sort of full season projections, and and uh, and considering his low BABIP and you know he hits more ground balls than than, than fly balls and isn't a, a slow guy. Um, I've been saying that he's probably like a 275 hitter with uh, 25 plus a home run, so he's going to slow down a little bit in the home run department and uh, you know get close to 10 steals, which is uh, playable in any format and uh, basically means that you got off the wa- off the waiver wire prices, you got a, a second outfielder. Yeah, I actually got asked uh, about Dom Brown in the the Reddit. As well, and I, I said he, you know, he's a 20 to 25 home run guy, 10 steals, and obviously that has value in any format. So the the thing that I liked, I, I looked at him in the in the in spring, and the, the reason I own him three or four times is because um, someone pointed out to me a change in his swing, so I did the the GIF treatment, um, and yes, I say GIF. Get I say GIF too. <laughs> and uh, I did the GIF treatment, and um, his swing was a lot better. It just looks a lot nicer. It was more level. Um, his hands were in the right position. Uh, and I just liked I liked what I saw out of that swing. And obviously, they've been working on him for a while. And um, you know, I, I just liked that he had natural talents, natural athleticism that had been with him before, and had given him seasons like. You know, in 2010, he hit um, over 300 at three levels with uh, 25 home runs about and 25 stolen bases, and that was 2010. Uh, Even last year, which was kind of a lost year, um, there were moments where, you know, he he looked like he was starting to show something there, a little bit of power. He never struck out too much, so I didn't see why his batting average had to be low. Uh, and if you have above average home run, uh, above average power, below average strikeouts, and you don't hit the ball in the air 50% of the time, I'm going to tell you that you're probably going to have a good batting average. So, you know, I- I'll say that he-, he has upside beyond that. I mean, he's hit 300 at a lot of different levels in his career. So he could hit 280, 290. He could hit 25 plus homers. I mean, he's obviously banked half of that already. Um, and, uh, you know, this I think he's coming out to shine a little bit. I don't. I don't know why his Babbitts have been so low in the major leagues. Um, at some point, you do have to say, okay, 690 plate appearances, 266 Babbitt. I guess he's not going to have a, a high Babbitt. But that's 690 plate appearances over four different years. So I'm not ready to uh, etch that one in stone yet. Yeah, and that's basically one full season. And we know that over one full season, that's really not enough to determine a hitter's true talent Babbitt. So it could just be... You know, a, a low fluke, and and he definitely. I mean, right now his BABIP is 257, so that should definitely come up, making him more like a 270, 280 hitter. My only concern really is that he hits too many ground balls and not enough fly balls. With a 33% fly ball rate, I think it's going to be tough for him to be a 30 home run guy. But if he jacked that up into the high 30s, I think his ultimate peak could be a 30 home run guy. But it's going to depend yeah, on. And he's ball. shown that fly ball rate in the past, so it's possible. And, and he was projected for 30 at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I'm more comfortable, you know, giving him like a 200, 220 ISO, uh, you know, like a 15 to 20 home run for fly ball percentage and 
and the numbers we were saying 20 25 homers maybe a little bit more but um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put him down for 30 this year yeah and then to go along with about 10 steals so he's a nice uh, all-around contributor yeah at least he's not getting caught he's not taking a lot of chances on the base pass so you know, yeah maybe eight nine steals all right, let's move along and bring back our not a sleeper, not a bus segment. And as a reminder, these are guys that either I came up with or I found being called buy low or sell high. So not a sleeper would be guys on buy low list or, or guys that have been disappointing so far who we disagree with, who we think are not buy lows. And not a bust are guys that are considered sell highs by uh, a lot of people and that we disagree with and we think uh, should continue to sustain their level of performance. So our Not a Sleeper I came up with by myself. I didn't find it mentioned in any articles, and that is Billy Butler. So, you know, why should fantasy owners not buy low on Billy Butler? Well, for one, last year uh, had all the makings of a, of a career year. Um, Career-high BABIP, um, career-high ISO, uh, 29 homers when he hadn't ever hit more than 21 before, um, and last year he was 26. So, you know, I, I just feel like last year really looked like a career year for me, um, or for him, in my eyes. Um, and uh, you know, I think every year of your life is a career year because oh, that's that's just kissing up. Uh, so uh, that, what I see this year is that he's kind of reverted to. Who he used to be, um, and you know, even last year when we were sort of lauding him for the better ground ball rate, um, you know, his fly ball rate was at a career low. So he's uh, he's a ground ball guy. He told me in an interview that he just looks um, low. He looks low in the zone. He looks from like the belt to the knees uh, and down because he says pitchers want to pitch there. So he's taking what pitchers give him and he's going with the ground ball approach. And uh, frankly, I don't see that leading to many more homers than 20. Yeah, I mean, I, I said that Dominic Brown is going to have a tough time hitting 30 home runs because of his fly ball rate. And, and Billy Butler is even worse. I mean, he's never been a big fly ball guy. Uh, last year, it was clear that his home number fly ball rate was an outlier. I mean, it, it was almost double 2011. And now his home number fly ball rate is right back down to where it always had been pre-2012. So... I mean, coming into the season, it was pretty clear that last year was a fluke, and now it's just being solidified. Now, he still remains a pretty solid mixed league first baseman. He is a 290 hitter. He makes very good contact. He's always had uh, above-average BABIPs. He obviously hits in the middle of a lineup, which should lead to at least 90 RBIs, but he's slow as can be, and that's why he's only had 18 runs scored so far. And you know what? Slow guys, you don't want hitting balls on the ground. So this is the not the type of hitter you want with a 52% ground ball rate, which is why maybe his bad bib at 294 right now, maybe it shouldn't be that much higher than that because he's not going to be beating out any infield hits anytime soon. Yeah, and it's actually um, a bit extreme. I, I, I'm, you know, from that conversation I had with uh, a bunch of different Royals that did a piece about the ideal ground ball rate and from the conversation I had with Votto, I'm starting to really dig uh, hitters that have uh, sort of a one-to-one ground ball to fly ball ratio um, because I feel like that means your swing is about as level as can be. Because if you think about it, a line drive is somewhere between a ground ball and a fly ball. So if you're hitting 
equal amounts of ground balls and fly balls, you're probably got that line drive stroke going. Um, so guys with the, the, you know, I don't, I don't know if I made this whole theory up just because I'm upset about Mike Moustakis, but <laughs> you know, guys with like a 50% fly ball rate are obviously swinging for the fences. Yeah, they're uppercut swings. They're uppercut swings. They, they're going to have low batting averages. And if you're, if it works out well, you're Jose Bautista, which is fine. You know, but Jose Bautista, that's why Jose Bautista has low babbits and is like 250, 260 hitter uh, because he's, he's, he's swinging for the fences, basically. Um, and if it's 50% ground ball rate, you're normally like a Juan Pierre type and you're, you're kind of trying to take advantage of your, of your legs, but that means very little power. So I, like, I, I really like the guys who are, who are hitting about, about one of each. Yeah, and you know, when I've researched all the players that I've researched, it does seem like the guys with like a 40-40 ground ball fly ball with a 20% line drive rate are some of the best hitters in baseball. They have good BABIPs and very good power. So off the top of my head, that seems like that that theory actually holds when actually looking at specific players. I mean, yeah, but then I, I tried the correlations and it didn't quite work. I mean, there there, I could try and sort of manipulate it a little bit to, to try and, and show a peak with WRC plus and um, and uh, fly ball to ground ball ratios, show one a peak right about one. But, you know, it, it's just that every player is unique and every player has to take unique advantage of their own skill set. So, you know, it is kind of weird that Billy Butler hits somebody on the ground because his skill set, you'd say, you know what, you'd probably look a lot better with an uppercut swing because uh, you're this big old honking dude. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you know, like Eric Hosmer in, actually could be one of those guys that should maybe hit a few more ground balls than fly balls just because he does have athleticism and he doesn't look like, uh, you know, a prototypical slugger. But, you know, it, it, this isn't a one-size-fit-all thing, but if you're looking at a guy who looks like he should have some power and isn't slow as all heck, then, you know, the Votto, Alex Gordon, you know, that kind of group, then uh, I think they, that they are best served by a one-to-one. All right, let's move on to our not a bust. And this is a name that I did find in a recent Sell High article, and that's Carl Crawford, who most likely would be considered a Sell High solely for the injury concern. But, I mean, there's been no issues whatsoever this year, so it's hard to kind of think that he might get injured down the line. I mean, is this somebody you agree with that owners should just enjoy the ride and uh, cross their fingers that he just remains healthy all year? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to sell him. I mean, it's going to be really hard to sell Kyle Crawford just because just people will just look at 2011, 2012, and, and that's like a 600 combined plate appearances and say, well, you know, I don't, no thanks. But... Um, you know, when he was in, he was fine. And this looks like a vintage Carl Crawford season. He's uh, got the walk rate back up. He's not ever going to be good, but he's got it up to a decent amount. He's got the strikeout rate down. Uh, he's always showing about, you know, league average power. He's doing that again. Um, and it's really nice to see him take 12 attempts on the base pass. So 12 attempts in 200 plate appearances means you know, 36 to 40 attempts over the course of the year. Um, and uh, that, to me, says about 30 stolen bases, you know, 10 to 15 homers. This is Carl Crawford. This is 
This is vintage Carl Crawford. The Dodgers got lucky on one of their acquisitions. Yeah, this is exactly what fantasy owners who took a shot here basically expected. I mean, we basically knew, given his uh, prior leg injuries and his uh, last two seasons and his age, the days of, you know, the seasons of 40, 50, 60 steals were long over. He's on pace for, you know, 15 home runs, 30 steals, 90 runs, 45 RBIs, and, and batting 290. And that's that's great. And uh, I don't think he's so hot right now that he's a sell-high guy because you're not you're not going to profit. It's not like selling a Patrick Corbin who's clearly been lucky and playing over his head. Paul Crawford is playing like he should be playing when he's healthy. So uh, I don't think it's a profitable uh, type of a trade unless, of course, you're worried that he gets injured. And uh, so far, so good. I, I don't I don't think it's really. Uh, smart to assume he's going to suddenly get injured. He's been completely fine. No uh, elbow issues coming off of the surgery. So you, you you might be able to sell from the perspective of surplus because, you know, there are probably some people out there that did something like, hey, I'm going to pick Aoki and Crawford and, you know, one of them's going to give me what I need. And uh, now you're sort of looking and you're like, well, shoot, now I got two guys who are going to, you know, hit about 10 homers and steal 30 bases and you know, that doesn't really quite fit my team, so which one of those guys do I sell? Then I guess it's Crawford because he has that injury history, and Aoki we don't know as much about, um, but he's been healthy for a long time. So, you know, that's just like a total random situation I just made up in my head. But I do think that the people who, who bought Crawford, like you're saying, bought him real low and might have surplus in their outfield. But, you know, you might also want to just look a step up in your outfield and be like, you know what, I'm going to pick my second outfielder and sell him for a higher return and just slot Carl Crawford in there as an everyday outfielder. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I don't think you could really even sell high on Crawford, like we were saying. This is basically what you'd expect from a healthy season. He's not doing outrageously. He's not playing over his head. So I don't, I don't even think it's possible to sell high. It's basically hold on to him. All of his uh, metrics look good. And cross your fingers that he stays healthy. All right, let's move along and stay in the Dodgers' outfield because Matt Kemp is probably causing his fantasy owners to pull their hair out at this point. So, I mean, Kemp has been pretty worthless all season, and now he has a hamstring strain and he might go on the DL. What's an owner to do at this point? I, uh, you know... Cry? I know, I know I said you can't sell low, but... Uh... You know, the, the hamstring the hamstring probably has something to do with uh, the fewer stolen bases over the last couple of years. And he, the hamstring's kind of been going in and out. Um, the shoulder is, he had shoulder surgery, and that probably has something to do with the power outage. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that uh, always is on the cusp of striking out too much, but um, has used high babbits to have good batting averages anyway. Um, so you're not going to get a lot of value out of his plate discipline. If his hamstring is going to sap his stolen base totals and his shoulder, the, the question then is when is the shoulder going to be all right? And will time on the DL for the hamstring allow his shoulder to heal and he'll come back, you know, guns blazing? He might be a sell low. So what basically you're describing is the hamstring takes away his speed. The shoulder saps his power. We now have a zero category contributor. Who knew Matt Kemp, a zero-category contributor? Yeah, I mean, two home runs. I, I know power numbers take the longest to stabilize, and that's the, and, but, you know, we know who Kemp is, and he should have, even in a bad moment, he should have five homers by now. 
is two, you know, you, you got to think the shoulders uh, is, is a mess. You just don't know when they're, they're going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those lost years. He had a lost year like this before. Last year was uh, was only 23-9. and nine. And uh, then there was the year where he did hit 28 homers, uh, but he stole 19 bases and hit 249. So that was 2010. So he, he is not uh, a consistent guy. I mean, if you just look at his, at his career, he's, he's gone in and out. And I think part of it is because he doesn't have a natural, a good sense of the strike zone naturally. He doesn't have a great walk rate. He sometimes pushes it up because people are afraid of him. But um, I don't think he naturally has a good walk rate. And uh, he, he has a lot of swing and miss in his game. So, you know, sometimes he goes into funks. 2010, the team was bad. Maybe that has something to do with it. He's definitely not um, all there upstairs. Um, and, um, but, you know, the team's bad again. Yeah, and, and check out his average home run and fly ball distance. Last year, he led baseball at 313 feet. 2011, he was sixth at 307 feet. This year, 269 feet. That is an enormous drop-off. And although we're not sure yet how long it takes for the distance to stabilize, I mean, that I don't think there's anything else that could basically confirm that, wow, his power is gone. Yeah, yeah, and... You know, we're, we're going to try and work on that stabilization stuff. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think he could be a sell low just because somebody will uh, buy into it. And, you know, who I'd, I'd look to sell him to someone who's uh, fifth, sixth, seventh in the league, still thinks they have a chance on this year and um, and is going to is going to give a shot at uh, getting a power speed guy. Yeah, that's actually a good point. If you're kind of near the bottom and need to take a risk. Obviously, Kemp, a healthy Kemp, has as much upside as anybody, so he's a type of guy to go after rather than playing it safe with a, a more known commodity like a Matt Holiday because you're not going to really you're not going to profit off of trading for Matt Holiday. You might, right. however, on a Matt. You'll probably get what you paid for. Exactly. Uh, one thing I do is just just so that your guy, the other side, doesn't think you're trying to rip him off. Wait until they uh, give a little bit more news about Kemp's um, health. You're not gonna, you're not gonna lose anything at this point. I think they're probably just gonna say, hey, you know, MRI says he needs. I mean, the MRI could say it's torn, and then you, then you're screwed. But you're not gonna get a good offer right now with uh, his hamstring up in the air. So you might as well just wait to hear what the next piece of news is, have some definitive news, and then you can say to someone, hey, you're gonna need to wait two weeks for Matt Kemp. I'm gonna sell him low. You know, give me Carl Crawford. Yeah, this is very true. Uh, and then, of course, if you sell him and he goes on the DL, it's going to be some bad blood. The other owner's going to be annoyed that he just traded for a guy on the DL. Right, so wait until they <laughs> announce what's going on and, and everyone knows what's going on. Exactly. All right, let's move along to Detroit. What has gotten into Rick Porcello? He started the year in April in standard Porcello fashion, only eight strikeouts and 19 innings. And then whatever he was doing in spring training, suddenly – is going on in May because he struck out 32 batters in 31 and two-thirds innings with a 313 ERA. Now, Jeff Sullivan had an excellent article published, uh, I think, yesterday. But it didn't seem like he really was doing anything differently because he's been throwing his curveball all season. So why the strikeout suddenly in May and not April is what I'm wondering. Well, a lot of people said his 
this curveball looked the best that it's ever looked. So you can be throwing a, a curveball, but not throwing it as well as you should be or, or, or you could. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that could be a big part of it. Possible. And uh, it was interesting because in spring training, he was he, he scrapped the slider and he was throwing the curveball, which was the explanation behind that uh, improved strikeout rate. And a lot of people were calling for a breakout. And, and then, of course, he started off in no breakout fashion. And now Porcello is uh, intriguing once again. So do you think there has been a legit change and he might actually be worth positive value in like a 12-team mixed league? Yeah, I mean, uh, it looks like uh, the curveball right now has the uh, best outcomes of his career. Uh, great ground ball rate, uh, most movement it's ever shown. Um, and that's just looking at the full year stuff. So, um, you know, if, if it's been even better in the last couple of months, then that's interesting. Um, I, you know, ground ball guys, it's not like his, his, his swinging strike rate is above average even. So, um, you know, I think he has the, all the upside of, a you know, a regular sort of Tim Hudson year. Yeah, I think he's probably best left for AL only. I mean, the problem is is that he's an extreme ground ball guy, which is usually good, but it requires a good infield defense, and that's not what the Tigers have. I mean, Porcello has never posted, well, except for his rookie year, he has not posted a Babbitt below 300 since his rookie year. And, and so he's not going to get any help from his defense. He's also had trouble stranding runners every single year of his career, and we're getting to that point where... Maybe he just lacks that skill for whatever reason, as opposed to it not, uh, as opposed to it being bad luck. So, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Sierra, the work for Sierra, he showed that strand rate and and batting average on balls in play are not completely independent of skills uh, that the pitcher can have, and that strikeout rate actually helps you strand the batters and can lead to lower BABIPs and. You know, he's just not going to, even if he's improved, he's not going to have much better than seven uh, strikeouts per nine. I mean, it just doesn't show the swinging strikes to to garner those. I mean, the control might mean, you know, more command this year and he could get more looking strikes, but I still wouldn't push it much past seven and a half, given his history. So Yeah, this is the type of skill set where if he was on the Reds, who have a good infield defense, or maybe the Rays, he would be intriguing. I think he would be... Uh, a type of guy like a Roberto Hernandez who also intrigues me, uh, but Roberto Hernandez has the defense and uh, Porcello does not. So uh, I think I'm basically going to only recommend is a, a buy low, I guess, in AL only league. Because I mean, his season ERA stands at 5.29, which still looks awful. And so it's possible that fantasy owners haven't noticed that in May he was actually really good with a low three ERA. So AL only leagues for me, and uh, I think I would. Uh, ignore him still in a 12-team mixed league. Yeah, I uh, just I just checked this out for you real quick. Uh, you were mentioning uh, the team defense. Uh, Porcello has a uh, like a 314, 316 uh, uh, BABIP right now. The Tigers are have the second worst BABIP in baseball uh, by pitchers pitchers allowed, and it's 314. <laughs> so I wouldn't expect any regression in that in that department. Exactly. All right, let's get to our last name. Starlin Castro, and I'm not an owner anymore. I had him in one league, and I traded him earlier in the year. And and he's a guy, when he's not really stealing bases, 
you look at him and you're like, wow, he does nothing for me because he, he just contributes a little bit in every category and he doesn't stand out. I mean, he's he's stolen over 20 bases the last two years, but he's only attempted four and only has three right now. So what's in order to do? Is he a buy low guy or is he a sell low? I, I can't figure it out. Yeah, the thing that was so annoying for me or that is so annoying about this is that um, he – had this classic, you know, everything improved slightly every year that he was in the bigs. I mean, his ISO went from 108 to 125 to 147. Uh, his stolen bases went from 22 to 25. His homers went from 3 to 10 to 14. And, you know, everything was just slightly improving. Even his fielding was just getting a little bit better every year. He was finally above scratch with the glove last year. So I just saw this guy, and he's so young. I mean, He's uh, he's still what 23, so everything is pre-peak, and um, you know there's no reason for his power to go down. So I'm gonna say that he's gonna get that power up to about league average. So I think he'll still hit um, close to 15 homers here. Uh, I think he'll just have like a nice. And also, you know, Wrigley is cold in the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, and we we've seen from Zimmerman's recent work that uh, temperature is one of the main determinants of power so i think uh, as wrigley warms up they play a lot of day games there the wind's going to be blown out it's going to be warm he's going to have uh like a six homer month or a five homer month and you know all of a sudden you'll be like whoa check this guy out he's hot he's going to get the batting average close to 300 and i think he'll end the year uh you know with your traditional 280 290 batting average uh 15 homers and uh I guess 15 stolen bases, and at shortstop, I don't, I don't care. That's a, that's top five, top six. That's top of the half, top half of the, of the, um, of the, of the league, whatever league you're in. So, it's, uh, I don't see anything where I'm like, oh, look at that. I mean, the strikeout rate's up a little bit, but it's still better than average. And uh, yeah, the, the stolen base attempts not great. Uh, he's not a big stolen base guy. I see those still getting a little bit better. So are you saying, this is a little bit of a tangent, but are you saying that Wrigley Field, it's cold in Chicago now, it's going to warm up, more homers flying out. Are you saying Luis Valbuena is a 30-home run candidate? Is that what you're suggesting? Oh, man. For, no, for those not... listeners who have no idea why I'm bringing up Luis Valbuena, I own him right now in Tout Wars with uh, Eno's in the league as well, and I'm trying to pawn him off because I have Kevin Euclid coming back. So that was the little joke. Yeah, it's an on-base percentage league, so, you know, Valbuena is not a bad pickup in on-base percentage leagues, but I think he more has, like, okay power than real power. <laughs> All right, getting back to Starlin, so the biggest concern is just his stolen base attempt. I mean, he's only attempted four steals, so that's a pace of 12 all year and, like, 10 steals. So... Clearly, he's not going to be as valuable as he was projected to be because the projections probably all assume 20 to 25 steals. And if he's more like a 10-10 guy or a 10-15 guy, that's still solid for a shortstop. But if you're going to buy low, I think what you're paying for is going to end up being that 10 to 15 steal range, and, and that's not going to be a profit. And that's not going to be a buy low. It's just going to end up being a fair trade. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm holding. <laughs> okay, well, uh, 
Yes, you do accept my normally, offer for Ryan Braun and give up Luis Valbuena. Is that? I don't normally look at uh, month splits too hard, um, but um, he uh, he steals more bases later in the year. I would say. Well, I mean, is that something you could really bank on? He's his career isn't that long. I don't I don't think or, splits are really. No, no, no. Let me let me put this a different way. He has months where he doesn't steal a lot of where he doesn't attempt a lot of bases. So, yes, he only attempted uh, one steal in May, but last year um, in uh, let's see, in June he only attempted five. Last year in July he only attempted four, uh, and uh, so basically. I'm saying that of all of the stats, probably stolen bases are one of the least uh, predictive in small samples. Because also, also his on-base percentage is only 303 because he never walks, and his batting average right now is at a career low. So obviously you can't steal first, and if he's not on base, then he can't attempt a steal. Yeah, I think yeah, and I think uh, I, and I think that given his plate discipline being about the same as normal, I think we can expect a little more. Uh, batting average luck. Um, so uh, I think that uh, I think there's better times coming for him. I mean, it's not. I may have ranked him too highly. Uh, <laughs> but just comes out. But you know, the for me, the the problem with ranking him was not necessarily his uh, talent, uh, because I've always. I feel like I've always pegged him as a guy who just does enough to be good at shortstop. I don't, I don't think of, I didn't think of him as a guy. You know, people talked about thirty thirty for him or whatever. I never thought that was possible. That's crazy. Right. Uh, he just doesn't have that that skill set. But I, you know, there was attrition. There was major attrition at the short in the shortstop rankings. You know, coming into this year, where there was just. Uh, you know, guys like Tulowitzki, who, how far up do you put him? How many innings, how many plate appearances do you really think he's going to, uh, he's going to put together this year? Um, you know, guys falling down because they're old, you know, the Rollins types and all that stuff. So, you know, for me, he kind of rose to the top because... Just by default. Yeah, yeah, really by default. Uh, and I just didn't see obvious... You know, even Reyes had injury concerns, and those proved to be... Um, you know, you can call it a fluke, but, you know, Reyes gets injured. So, anyway. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.